Previously on our Kentucky Route Zero saga. So where the heck are we? The Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces. Why are there bears there? Can you take a step back and like describe what Route Zero is? It's like a donut, right, essentially? Yeah, it almost... It's... Is it a wormhole? Is it a... Yes! You know, you're getting the story as the, the person who's watching it, as the person who's playing the game, but your character isn't always the one that's telling you the story. They've erected this museum there in its place, which is the Museums of Dwellings. It is essentially, like, it, it is literally what it is. It is a museum where everything that is on exhibit to see is just different manners of dwellings. You meet a kid named Ezra... Uh, who talks about his his fun with uh, his friend Julian, who you come to find out is the eagle. <laughs> I think you finally end up finding Dr. Truman in his home. Um, he's a doctor, and he has a lot of debt, and because he has a lot of debt, he's kind of signed a, a deal with the devil, the devil in this case being a pharmaceutical company. I, I love that he's like, yeah, I'm just going to put you under a general anesthetic, and you're going to count down from five. And then as soon as you start countdowning from five and, like, the, the words get really blurry, he's like, okay, great. Now, is this a good time to talk about billing? Welcome to episode 93 of the Left Behind Game Club. This week, we play Kentucky Route Zero Act 3. Let's get right into it. You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. Welcome to the Left Behind Game Club, our never-ending attempt to make sure that no game is left behind. I'm your host, Jacob McCourt, and today I have two friends with me. The first friend, you know him, you love him, his name is Michael Ruffalo. I cannot wait to talk about this act. Same here, and to talk about the act as well, joining us for the fifth time uh, is Adam Ionetta. Adam, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me again. Great to be back. You've become a permanent fixture in this series, so I don't see you going anywhere. (laughs) Uh, this is Act 3 of Kentucky Route Zero. It's a game developed by Cardboard Computer, published by Annapurna Interactive. And if you're tuning in now without having listened to our other content related to this game, you might want to stop this one, go back to that, and then come back here. Uh, we'll be waiting for you when you're ready. Uh, so where we left off, gentlemen, uh, we had just taken some interesting medication that may have left some lasting side effects. Am I correct to assume that? You wake up without a leg. <laughs> ah, with my leg! Or some sort of strange, science sci-fi leg. Yes, you become a hard-time boy. <laughs> you, you, you do. You uh, do. And I don't know if you guys felt this way, but immediately when we got into the scene, I just felt like the, the actual direction of the scene was something that we had only seen a few times. So, like, imagine that, you know, you're you're close up on two characters that are having coffee, the lighting's amazing, uh, and you don't exactly know what's going on with your leg. And I just felt in this entire act, there was just so much confidence from a direction perspective. Yes. I uh, I had the the fortunate chance this time to actually hook up my computer to my uh, my forty eight inch uh, TV at home to play this particular act, and I'm so Ooh. glad that I was I'm so glad that I was able to do that for this act, especially just because of what you were talking about before and the whole uh, cinematic approach that they took to this act, and not to mention the the overall length of this act compared to previous acts as well. So, but I completely agree with you. When when I completed this episode, I sat there, or this act, I guess, of the game, I sat there and I was like, oh my. Like, I wasn't sure when we played the first act whether this would be a game I would be into and whether I would like, uh, but I could not wait to talk to you guys about it. I I sat there and I was like, well, we're going to record in a couple days. <laughs> and I tried, to, I tried, I tried real hard to just be like, well, it's only going to be a couple days. I'll be able to talk about it then. But the only thing I could think about was this this act. The, the the entire time until I finally broke and posted in the Discord server like, hey, hey, is anybody playing this game? Has anybody played this game? I really, 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 really want to talk with someone about it right now. Yeah, and I think we just need to say that we have a rule on the podcast that you are not supposed to talk to the people you're podcasting with about the game because then it kind of ruins the element of surprise. This is one of the first times, Mike, where you were like, I need to talk to someone! <laughs> yes, yes. 
Yes, there, um, there was deep, deep excitement and passion, and what an experience. So I want your hot take then. Uh, I kind of set the scene, uh, but something very quickly happens where the scene shifts. Do you think the first part of scene one was an apparition? Do you think it was the drugs? Like, what do you think Wait, it was? What do you mean? What do you mean an apparition? So when the scene starts, you're having coffee with. Um, I, I don't exactly know who you were having coffee uh, with. Was Le- it Weaver? Was it uh, Lizette or Lizette? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Lizette. Yeah. Uh, and then the scene shifts very quickly and the sun kind of comes up. And I don't know if it was like time had shifted or Lizette actually wasn't there. But like it very quickly went, okay, Lizette isn't here now. So are oh you might have what you're saying is like hey is this an hallucination a drug yeah. induced hallucination or yeah. is this a flashback and I think it's both I think this is something that happened to our man Conway uh, an experience he had with Lizette which is kind of the the backbone of this this uh, this act you find a lot of the backstory on Conway and Lizette and how they came to be and what ultimately happened to them. Um, or at least sets up a lot of what we're going to find out. And I think that was a memory that he had, and I think it was induced by the drug that he had taken um, so that way they could fix his leg. Um, And I think it just so happened to be very thematically appropriate that um, when the sun comes up in, uh, you know, in that scene, in that hallucination, in that memory, uh, I think it's also the time in which the sun's coming up in his real world um so it just fit really nicely together yeah and what do you what do you think adam well i was gonna say um this isn't the first time that we've seen something like this happen for conway where he begins to zone out of the physical scene that he's present in at that time and then begins to recall on something uh from his memory uh there were a few times uh going back to act one where um if you guys ended up going to the bait and tackle shop before meeting Shannon at Elkhorn Mine, there's a weird interaction with uh, two or three fish tanks and you end up getting electrocuted and you have this flashback um, that's all uh, dialogue based. You don't see any of it. Uh, it's all just based on text where he's, um, I can't remember the exact scene, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he's he's on the roof and he's waving down to Ira or something who is... Um, the the owner of the home that works with Lisette. Um, so it's this isn't the first time this has happened, and I I want to say something else happens similar to it when there's the cave-in at Elkhorn Mine uh, just before he comes to and uh, realizes that his leg is broken. When when that kind of scene with Lisette finishes, the camera pulls back very slowly, and you get your first glimpse of your skeleton leg. Uh, <laughs> what was your reaction when you saw that? things might not be exactly as advertised, I guess. I yelled, it's debt, it's debt. Debt is the theme <laughs> of this game. And I don't know why it took me so long to clue in. Uh, but at the beginning of Act 3 is when I realized the undercurrent and the, I guess, the common thread throughout almost every element of this of, of this uh, game so far has been debt. Um, the, the interludes have been about debt. The Hard Time Boys um, from Hard Time Whiskey is all about debt. And everything throughout this game, or especially this act, helped to, to emphasize that. Um, so I don't know why I didn't piece it together when there were so many like very obvious discussions about like Weaver's family um, and Shannon's family and dealing with debt and um, you know running away from it, and et cetera, et cetera. But finally, I feel like I figured it out. Yeah, I think that uh, at least I did clue in a bit during the entertainment, which was the uh, second interlude that like, hey, we're talking about payday loans and we're talking about, you know, socioeconomic factors that are maybe fueled by race as well. And I was like, huh, is this the the, the debt thing? And and this episode definitely confirms that, hey, this game is, is about debt as its primary driver. And I don't know if that was sold to me before now. Like, I don't think they talked about it much before the entertainment, if, if, I'm, if I'm being honest. Well, uh, before the entertainment, you have elements where you find out that Mark, the, the Marquez family was in deep debt. 
and it didn't matter if you had a math degree and could do the most complex calculus uh. in the world. You couldn't get yourself out of debt. Um, and the, the more I sat there and thought about it, the more I realized there were other little, you know, illusions, I guess might be the way to say it, but little, little hints, little uh, discussions about debt throughout that were not subtle, uh, but were just not something I sat there and I'm like, huh, I wonder if this game's about debt. <laughs> that that this act really just hammered home like you said it made really clear like oh this one this one is about debt and i think now that we've got that out there what what else were your reactions when you saw conway with the leg of a skeleton from the hard time boys and and what do you think it means because conway says i think you get a choice of multiple reactions to have to it but ultimately conway kind of says like uh what did you do to my leg like this is not my leg and the good doctor says i don't know what you're talking about that's your leg you could be hallucinating because of the drug but that should go away that that was what i was trying to figure out because up until that point i thought okay is conway the only one that sees his leg looking the way it is like this sort of electrified skeletal system or and everybody else sees it as his normal leg and you know i started thinking back to what went on in the entertainment and you know was that was that figure to the bar fly um looking like someone different to everyone else in the bar and so i i was so confused and it it was frustrating because everyone else seemed to think no you're just you're hallucinating there's no people in the basement (laughs) yeah and i found by the end of it um, he had almost been convinced that like it's it's probably in his head, and that I th- I think the choices I went with were like oh I- I'm used to f- side effects it's I-, I guess it's fine I guess it'll wear off it's it's fine which to me was like that sounds like when a doctor prescribes you something to you know solve the symptoms of what you are going through and not the actual problem what you end up just settling on after being told multiple times that no 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 it's fine this is the way it is. Sounds like you have some experience with that kind of diagnosis, <laughs> Jacob. Not gonna, not gonna get into it. Not gonna do it. I'm just gonna enjoy my nice whiskey here that I poured myself for this exact occasion. That's all I got. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, I don't know where we were. Sorry. Um, the funniest piece of dialogue for me was um, when they said, "Hey, you need to keep your leg free of of debris," and they said, "What what can you clean it with?" He's like, "Oh, only clean your leg with uh, a moistened cloth with water or isopropyl alcohol." I'm like, "Do they know what's going on with the leg?" I I digress. It uh, the writing was very good in places in this act. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I think we've talked in the past about the writing being good, especially in the entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um. But I think, you know, kind of like what you had said at the beginning, at the top of this episode, Jacob, there is a real confidence and a real sense of, like, direction um, where they're not just allowing the player to, you know, text adventure their way through this. Like, it's guiding you. It's holding the frame. It's it's making a really curated experience. And I love it. I, without a doubt... Love the heck out of it. Would you say that this game has an invisible hand? <laughs> bum, bum, Sorry, ec- economic scope. I, fr- I, I, I digress. When we first started this series, I talked about how I'm not a big fan of point-and-click adventure games and text-based games. Um, but this game, especially this act, has certainly converted me. So I'm, I'm very, very pleased with what I've seen thus far, and I cannot wait to continue on. Uh, you go from here to, um, to a tree, right? First you go back to the Museum of Dwellings, uh, and then from there it's the tree. Yeah, and you go to the tree because your, your van actually just breaks down. Mm -hmm. It's an old van and it breaks down and you're by a tree that reminded me a lot of like the cover of the Joshua Tree album by U2. It's a very (laughs) large tree. Um, but you are there with Ezra, Conway, and Shannon and that's when you meet new characters, right? That's right, Junebug and Johnny. Yeah, Which, and, and again, the direction here was just, like, fantastic. Amazing. Okay, so one, we should get out of the way. Very clear reference to June and Johnny Cash. Um, oh! And yes, like, very, very clear reference. And yeah. we will see more 
uh, hints to that as as it goes on. But I think this is a perfect point to also talk about some of the literary-ish references throughout. That tree looks a heck of a lot like the tree in Waiting for Godot, um, which uh, when I saw that, I was like... I don't I don't remember a whole lot about Waiting for Godot, but I do remember that Adam brought this up, and I do remember that tree, and holy cow, there we go. I, I instantly made note of that when um, Shannon is attempting to fix the truck, and the first line she says after that is, nothing to be done, which is the first line of the scene in that play when... I think it's Estragon says it to Vladimir. And I thought, oh, this is waiting for Godot. This is the tree. They're going to hang themselves. What's going on? So the <laughs> it was, I'm pretty sure I saw Samuel Beckett's silhouette somewhere in the scene as well. But uh... <laughs> um, yes, so we meet Junebug and Johnny and they're riding in a sidecar motorcycle. And this is another moment in which I think the game does something really cool that we do not see often, which it reminds you that like you're not always playing from the character that you first started with and you're, you're not always playing from the first person perspective. Um, you jump into Johnny and Junebug deciding whether you're going to go and stop at the side of the road um, and help uh, Conway, Shannon and Ezra. Um, with their broken down car and it it was i thought really funny to control both the dialogue of johnny and the dialogue of junebug where johnny's like i you know i think we should stop like i think there's a good you know we should probably stop like what's the worst that it could do and junebug's like you know what we're already late and this was for me one of as dumb as it is, one of my favorite little references because you realize that they are on their way to Harry's bar, which we've just experienced in the entertainment. It's like this is a game that's wrapping back in on itself and folding and creating layers upon layers, and it was just so exciting. Um, what were your reactions when when you've realized that? My my first reaction was, you know, seeing that, okay, so this is the Junebug and Johnny that we've been waiting for. And so my thought was, okay, they clearly didn't make it by the time that this hard times boy made it to the diner. So my curiosity at that point is, are we actually going to go to that diner or to that bar and see what happened? And uh, so so that was that was my uh, that that's where my thought process went at that point. What's going to happen next? Yeah, my thought was like, am I going to get a choice here to either stop or not stop? Will that affect the story and will it kind of um, branch off from there? Sorry, bad pun. Um, <laughs> but I think what I just really appreciated is that, um, the again, the direction. If you're looking at the motorcycle and the sidecar, the entire time that you're having a conversation, the camera is swinging around the actual uh, motorcycle of Johnny and June as they're as they're going on it. And then also cutting back and forth between Shannon and Conway and Ezra. And at one point, they're on the side of the road and the motorcycle just rips by. And they're just like, ah, jerks, because they kick up a bunch of dust when they do it. So I thought there would be choice. There wasn't. Uh, but I I was very happy with where it went after this scene. I, I ended up spending... A lot of the conversation as, as Junebug saying like, nah, I don't really want to stop. I don't think we should until finally in the end she relents and, uh, we pull over to the side of the road and that's when we meet. Uh, and I say we meet, but it's, it's, I guess we are both characters at the same time or both parties <laughs> coming to meet each other. Um, the formal we? And, yes, exactly. The formal we. Um, and so I don't, I don't quite remember exactly what happens that leads to it, but we end up having a conversation where Junebug and Johnny convince Conway, Shannon, and Ezra to come to them with their show. And they come, they decide to do that because they're like, well, Harry might stiff us if people aren't there. So if some people come along, I think we'll stand a good chance at making sure we get paid. And that's the biggest thing, especially because we're late. 
one of the best parts about the interaction between Conway and company and then Junebug and Johnny is uh, is the choice between whether you want to answer as Conway, Shannon, or Ezra. And so, you know, anytime you respond as, as Ezra, it's, it's always just so endearing because he'll ask them silly questions like, are you guys being chased by dinosaurs? Or are you, are you <laughs> pirates based on the way you're dressed? And lovingly, they actually, you know, humor his questions and they'll answer them whereas you know anytime you try to answer as conway he can't even get his first word out without junebug cutting him off like you know you'll be given a full option of dialogue like well we really have to get going but junebug will instantly cut you off then it's settled you're coming with us (laughs) (laughs) i love that i didn't know that was the case i always picked ezra as as the dialogue (laughs) option um which is also i think the moment that you realize uh, that uh, Junebug and Johnny are like androids. They're like robots. Yeah. What the heck? Why do they? Yes. Why are they robots? Wait. Wait. That's a good question. Wait. When? When did we figure that out? Okay. So, <laughs> what <laughs> is happening? Couple, yes, there are a couple of key signs. Uh, one is that when they move, there's exactly you can hear the servos inside them oh buzzing gosh. and beeping along. Uh, but that's not totally enough to give it away. Um, then there's a conversation with Ezra and Junebug, I believe, where Ezra and and I, this could be entirely optional. I don't know if you need to have this conversation, but I had it. And Ezra says, like, why do you look like a punk? And uh, Junebug says, like, oh, I mean, I didn't realize I looked like a punk. Like. You know, uh, this is just my form of self-expression. And she explains that she was like one of the many other robots that was designed to just be mining. And which I think if 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 my hypothesis is correct, she was part of the group of robots that was sent down into the Elkhorn mine in, in, in the zero to do the mining after all of the miners drowned. Um, and she tells a story about how they set, set aside and they waited and they found this cassette with the music, which I think is the music that Shannon's parents had recorded in the mine, uh, as part of their cultural ethno- ethnography or anthropology of the, of the, you know, folk music there. Um, don't stop me now. Keep trying to be dialed into my conspiracy theory here. So then they hear that and they decide, I am not just a robot. I need to live uh, a full life. And they sneak out and they slowly piece together their aesthetic through a bunch of clothes that they find. And I don't know how much of this is stuff that I made up versus stuff that I'm connecting dots that don't actually exist versus <laughs> connecting dots that do exist. But boy, am I in love with this story. This so just far. went completely over my head. And now I need to go back and replay this entire act just for that bit. Uh, two things. First, Mike, you remind me of that gif from it's just it's always sunny in, in Philadelphia. It's Pepe where Sylvia. Just like, it's, it's, it's Pepe, Pepe Sylvia. Sylvia. <laughs> Did I finally get it? I got it. It's Pepe Sylvia. It's um, Pepe Sylvia. But are you sure that both of them are robots? That's a good question. Uh, I am fairly confident because in that dialogue exchange, um, Junebug says both of them and not just one of them. Mm. She says like we hid. So I, I'm not 100 percent sure, um, but I expect that it's both of them. Yeah, because my initial thought was, and it's it's kind of built on what happens immediately after what we're talking about. Is I think I can say with almost 100 percent certainty that Junebug is a robot because her her skin tone is more gray compared to some of the other characters in the game. Uh, you hear the servos, but when she sings, which is the my favorite part of this entire act. Uh, Holy it cow. may be one of the best things in this entire video game so far, but. Uh, she has a robotic voice that is actually funny enough. It's, it's Ben Babbitt that's singing with like a, with a vocoder or whatever, like a voice modulator. It yeah. all, right? um, but my thought was like, Oh, got the like robotic voice, maybe a robot that likes to sing. Not a hundred percent sure that Johnny's a robot, but I can say that Junebug is a robot. You are saying a hundred percent, hundred percent. That's my thought. Yeah. I'm not 100%, 100%, but uh, I feel pretty, pretty good about that. Uh, do we want to talk about the really good moment where Junebug sings and it's a beautiful moment? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, all, all I wanted to say was, you know, there was there was a, a point here where we were able to go back to Equus Oils. 
Um, and you could decide to go and talk to Joseph and have a conversation about Lula Chamberlain. I did not take this choice. I knew it was there along the way, and I thought, uh, if I go back, I could talk to him. But I was just so like laser-focused on spending more time with Junebug and Johnny and getting there that uh, that I went straight to the bar. I went straight to Harry's bar. Mike I, likes the robots. I get it. I love them. I was the same. I love them. I, I didn't even realize that there was an option to go to Equus Oils. And so my perfectionist, completionist mentality is just twitching and grinding its teeth inside of me right now. So, again, another reason to go back and revisit this beautiful act. So, mm-hmm. uh, I heard the song Too Late to Love, and I, I'm not ashamed to admit that I have added it to my Spotify liked songs. <laughs> Because it is, you know, I, I think someone described it as whisper wave in the actual game. Uh, and as a as a fan of someone of synth wave as a genre, like this was entirely my ish. So we should, I guess, explain just a little bit before we get to the song. The you, you get to the bar and Harry says, like, look, it's the early hours. No one's here. I don't know why you're so late. Obviously, you can't go on. And Junebug points back to Conway, Shannon, and Ezra, and she's like, look, you got a full bar. You got a lot of people here. It's time, right? We're just going to do one song. It's going to be quick, and that's what we're going to do. And Harry's like, fine, like, do what you do. And Junebug and Johnny set up, and they start playing, and they literally tear the roof off the place. Every it musician's is... dream. <laughs> <laughs> it was... So um, not only like musically brilliant, like I loved it. I just gushed. I I I I wanted to tear up. Um, but it was also visually stunning. So as the as the song starts, you choose the lyrics that they're going to be singing about. You kind of decide the theme of the song, um, and then as the song progresses the roof of the bar kind of get gets peeled away and you're left with just this beautiful night sky um and the lyrics just scrolling through it um with stars and it was such an amazing moment like it made it, i know that mo will hate the like just so much of this game <laughs> like just so 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 much but i feel like if mo saw that moment I feel like he would like this game. Like, I think he, I think he would be there. Mm, I think he'd find a way to add guns to it. To be honest with you, <laughs> that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah. How would I be able to do this in Unity, but with guns? Yes. Um, so, but but all all of that aside, what did you choose the song to be sung about? I'm I'm trying to remember because I I remember picking lyrics that I thought were actually pretty pleasant, and then the the rest of the of the stanza became very very sad and very depressing and i would think to myself oh that's that's not what i wanted it's still gorgeous but it, it was almost like a misdirection at that point like oh let's choose these happy lines it's like oh surprise it's actually a, a portuguese fado and it's actually a really sad song that just sounds happy so <laughs> uh i will be honest with you and i was sitting on the couch playing this and this scene happened and i imagine like i, I slunk into the couch and was just like oh yeah this is great and i just picked the first option that was on there like i didn't even think because i was so enthralled by like the actual visual direction of it uh that i that's why i listened to the song a bunch afterwards because it's a six minute song if you listen to the actual soundtrack that has picked one of the directions that is about love and about leaving that love and it being too late being bound to fate like that's that's the version in my mind because i don't remember how i played it gotcha okay so did you guys pick up on the connection between conway and and lisette i didn't know it was going to be lisette but um by by the end of this act i started to put together pieces from the song and what we discover towards the very end of the act but yes so what we what we come to find out is um, this is apparently an old song that June and Johnny have heard before, and this is their take on it. And it's really a song where the singer's singing about being heartbroken after being left by their lover, who they then see years later. 
um, and they want to steal them back, which, uh, you know, we're kind of spoiling a lot of this game, um, is what we come to find out the story between Conway, Lisette, and Ira. Um, and it, it is, it, it struck me as like, oh man, even more of this game just like folding in on itself and, and, and just creating more like layers and levels to look at it from. It excited me so much in addition to just being a song that like kind of tore my heart out and, and I love it so dearly. Um, I, I thought it was like such a great piece of music that as soon as that, uh, clip of song was done, I pressed the Xbox guide button. So the story would be paused and frozen. And then I looked up, uh, song from act three, Kentucky route zero. And I found anything that I could read on it. And I, I think I sent it to you in, uh, in our discord chat, um, trying not to break the rule of talking about it, but also <laughs> being like, wink, nod, we're going to have to talk about this. Yep. And, and what you sent us was, uh, Lewis Gordon's piece from fact magazine called Kentucky route zero, how Ben Babbitt scored a Lynchian modern classic, right? So what did you, I don't know how much you want to say here, but what did you pull from that article? Um, well, you know, there, there are a couple of things that I pulled away first. I, as I felt so secure hearing someone else say that this game was Lynchian, it just made me feel so much better about my like read of it. Uh, that I wasn't missing something huge and that, yes, it, it is indeed like a David Lynch film. Um, but it, it just made me take a step back and realize there have been really good, like, eerie soundtrack um, soundscape, uh, like, throughout the game. Um, and when I felt that this game was extremely dark and eerie to begin with, a lot of it, you know, came from the music as well. And it just was stuff that I was not paying attention to. And it gave me a huge appreciation for it, you know, as the game progressed. Um, I, I think one thing that you mentioned before we started recording, though, is that if people are curious about that article, it has Act 4 spoilers in it. So they might want to wait till the series is done to read it, right? Proceed with caution. The, the one other thing I would want to mention about this scene, which is that Junebug somehow... In the performance, I don't know when it happens, but her clothes transform into this <laughs> bright uh, blue baby eggshell blue dress, and it looks just like a dress that I've seen uh, June Carter uh, Cash wearing really? um, in in multiple images and clips, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, hmm. So I think it was just another one of those moments where they're n- nodding to. Um, you know, Johnny and June Carter Cash. But Johnny Cash never played the guitar, did he? <laughs> it's a good question. I, I I wouldn't put anything past the man. He once uh, shot a ran, shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Oh my god. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Uh, the next scenes in Kentucky Route Zero are scenes five to eleven, and I think I wanna I just wanna talk about them maybe together because they all kind of are part of one big chunk. It's going to the Hall of the Mountain King, Xanadu, back to the Hall of Mountain King, where the strangers come from, back to the Hall of the Mountain King, back to Xanadu. So I think maybe we should talk about that whole section of the game next. Uh, You come upon the Hall of the Mountain King, which is just this disastrous mess of technology and fire and metal is that is that a fair assessment of of what we see when we come into it when i first saw the title of the location appear on the map in the zero my first thought was that's an odd name for it is this like something out of the lord of the rings and then when you go inside and see what it is i kind of i felt a little silly i thought oh my gosh we're actually in mordor now we've we've completely left kentucky (laughs) and now we're in mordor not only are there you know Beckett references and Lynch references. There are Tolkien references now. And so <laughs> that's all I could think of at this point. Just Yeah. And it, it's such a, a weird moment, too, when you roll up to this this cave. Because the, the road just ends. And you have to get out and you walk up this, this long, long stairway. Uh, and you get all the way up to the top. And you just see, like, to me, it just looked like a bunch of computers on a pile that are on fire and there's just a bunch of people standing around it acting as if that's a completely normal non-weird thing and 
did you guys did you, did you talk with all of the people because i definitely did not i talked with only the people that i really needed to yeah so i spoke to everyone kind of my first time around because i wanted to know where the heck i was because like you said mike it's it's a mess of wood and like not logs but like wood of different shapes and then like maybe mac 2 computers and just fire uh I spoke to a few of the, so you speak to a few of the assistants of um, the main character in that, Donald. Yeah, you speak to Donald and then a bunch of his assistants. You talk to Amy, uh, you you talk to some of his other assistants, because I just wanted to know what was going on, and I don't know if I necessarily got that many answers, except that, like, maybe Donald's high on some form of mold that was in the computers? That's all I kind of got from it. There was there was one character, especially for me, that just left me completely confused. I think his name was Andrew, and he said his job was all about the details. He had to memorize all of the finite details about his surroundings. And at one point, he gets you to close your eyes, and so the screen gets black, and he tries to do this visualization game with you. And then at one point, he just completely messes up and says, Oh, darn it, I forgot. And then you just snap two again. And I, I was, I was left so confused and thought, okay, no, no, no. What was the point of that? Did I, did I click something incorrectly or, but if you guys have any sort of uh, information on, on how that scene was supposed to go, I was, I was literally left in the dark because my eyes were closed at that point. And then he just told me, oops, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I, I don't remember going through that visualization game uh, and from the sound of it, Mike didn't either. So I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like all that I know is in this section, I felt as though I would say that this is my least favorite section of the game just because I was left with so many unanswered questions. Well, I, I also didn't love, uh, this is a section that again, kind of folds in on itself where you find out that, Donald has created a computer simulation that is able to replicate um, essentially the world that you're in. And the thing that prevents it from acting as it should, which when you first go to use it, it's completely bonkers. It just doesn't make sense. It looks like it's glitching out. Um, What you find out is there's this mold that's growing on top of the chips and that's preventing it from, you know, working correctly. Um, So, you end up dealing with that and using the computer and it is essentially simulates the exact situation you're in. It simulates, you know, people coming, it simulates hiring research assistants and uh, assigning them to different parts of the, the simulation, whether to improve it or to theorize about it or to transcribe the things. And it's, it's a game within itself. With. Yes, because we have a full game within itself. Because we heard you like games, so we put one inside of another. <laughs> <laughs> they they exhibited us, uh, and uh, as much as I love all the moments that this game kind of folds in on itself, it this to me was the part that felt the most tedious until I got to, you know, uh, understanding kind of the story that it was you know getting at and, and, and explaining. Some of the really interesting bits of dialogue from uh, Donald, the the character kind of situated as the, I guess, the the king of this mountain, um, is uh, he talks about uh, the current state of Xanadu and this computer system and, and refers to it as entropy. And and I thought to myself, huh, that's a pretty big word that I don't know about. So I, I looked it up and it has it has a dual meaning where it can refer to the the thermodynamic properties of a computer or it refers to um, a complete state of chaos. And I, I kind of thought, okay, well, which one is he referring to? Is he referring to the fact that, you know, this computer is now on fire and the the sort of symbiotic relationship the computer system had with this black mold? Or is it the fact that, you know, you're literally standing in front of this tower of computers that is now just on fire, which is in and of itself chaos and there was the the other word he said uh senescence which is the the idea of uh as something ages it begins to wear and tear and degrade and it was it was interesting to see that when we first interact with xanadu and he goes on to say you know it's it's been so long since last uh anyone's been properly uh able to use xanadu and and now it's 
it's fallen to senescence, into this entropy, and it was it was a really interesting moment. Uh, my only kind of galaxy brain moment with this section was figuring out that um, the story that's being told in this adventure game that you're playing on Xanadu, which is essentially like an old uh, Apple II computer that needs to be degaussed every other <laughs> minute, uh, is that there are ties between the story that's being told on that adventure game and the first interlude, the limits and demonstrations that we played in the Lula Chamberlain um, Namjoon Payak, Namjoon Payak, Payak. Adam, you said it in the. Uh, I I pronounce it as Namjoon Payak, but I mean that might just be my my Michiganian accent. So, <laughs> so that the story from that interlude and the story from this adventure game in the third act are the same, just being told via different media. Whether it's you know the tape media in the in the interlude, wait, wait, wait. or the computer in Act Three. Break that down for me. Break so that do you down. remember? Do you remember in Interlude One how you could go up and interact with a with a bunch of tape that was just kind of yes. out there? A storm and you cloud could, of tape. Exactly. You could feed it into a machine and it would tell you kind of what it was saying. So to me, the story that was being told in that Interlude and the story being told in this adventure game were the same. Just the one in Act Three gave you a lot more detail and control over your actions. Right. Okay. Yes, because because what's really clear is that it's it's kind of re- retelling the story of how they got into this situation. Uh, and every time that you hire a new assistant and run a new day, it'll spit out the different percentages that that you've accomplished by doing that. And one of the percentages is romance. Um, and And I think what ends up being really clear... And it kind of ties back into the song that Junebug was singing. Uh, is is that uh, Donald had some feelings for Lula Chamberlain, and they were not uh, they were not reciprocated. It, when when she later returns into the scene, uh, it is not a a warm reunion at all. She's hmm. left him to his madness in the cave. If you guys remember in Act One, um, when Conway is searching for the uh, um, directions to the zero on Joseph's computer, you're able to check his emails. And there's actually one from Donald that, I mean, at that point in Act 1 doesn't make any sense, but talks about returning to the cave and how Xanadu needs you. And so you, you again, it's that whole idea about layers falling into each other and realizing that Joseph was a part of this whole excursion into the cave system and that, you know, Donald was the one that really dedicated his life to it. Whereas Joseph and Lula said, no, you know what, we're, we, we belong on the surface. So that's, that's where we need to be. Uh, functionally with this adventure game, uh, I played through it twice or not, not twice, but I, I died in it. Did you guys die Whoa, in this adventure game? You could game? die. How? Sorry, you by die I mean your characters in the adventure game could die. There's a hole in the what? adventure game itself, and if Man. you don't throw a rope down, you die in the game and you get a score of 0. <laughs> I did and it not actually know says that. like game over, score 0, and you have I to just it. go back to I- when you're at the hole. And just throw a rope down to not die. I, I knew you were not good at video games, but I didn't think you'd be able to die in an adventure game. Hey, I did it. In, in a text-based adventure game, you found a way. It, you are like nature. You find a way. Um, <laughs> you, you will butt up against the, the ends of the, the possibility space I'm like in the a game. theme song of Drake and Josh. I, I find a way. I find a way. <laughs> Great. You've broken Adam. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... Uh. That was one of my favorite have series a, growing up as a kid. So headaches. we have a childhood Nickelodeon fan in the house. Headaches, you give me headaches. I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> oh, and Mike's just like I didn't watch TV. I was reading books. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, so Jacob found a way to die. I did not know that that was possible. No. Um, I think that's amazing. Um, does it have anything to do with the, the point in the graveyard or is it somewhere in, entirely different? No, it, it's just in the actual Xanadu game. And it's, it's when there's oh. the hole that's covered in black mold where it's like this black mold is wet. You gotcha. need to use a rope. And if you don't use a rope, your characters just die. Gotcha. Safety first. Safety first. Yeah. 
So I, I did bring up the graveyard. Should we should we talk about how what what happens there uh, before we we get to that scene? Yeah. So I'll yeah. just kind of quickly set it up, and then we can go from there. Um, the scene is is uh, there's two times you go to the graveyard. There's one time while you're looking for how to power Xanadu or how to fix Xanadu, and then there's a time at the end of the game. And what happens is your group splits up when you get to this new graveyard. Essentially, you kind of go up to a graveyard, and there's a church at the graveyard. Conway and Shannon go to that church, and you play as Ezra and I think Junebug, who are just kind of looking around, trying to kill time in the graveyard. And Ezra's just like, look, a gravestone! Look, a gravestone! And um, Shannon and Conway come back, not having told you what happened at the church, because you get a flashback at the end of the game to say exactly what happened there. But they're super weirded out. Like, yeah. that's that's the takeaway. That they're extremely weirded out, and they just, they're like, this is not the time to talk about it. Yeah. We might tell you sometime, but probably not. Yes. Which, to me, like, from a storytelling perspective, was extra genius and beautiful because they take the characters that you uh, feel like you know the best and that you have the most information on who you've been making choices for and they suddenly say, and they've just had a whole adventure that has left them shook and you know nothing about it. I thought that was so cool. I actually thought this was going to be a moment similar to what we experienced in the uh, the St. Thomas Church of... Uh of act two where i was under the impression depending on the answers you picked you could potentially end up being shannon and exploring into the storage facility or just sticking around as conway and so i thought to myself well okay looking around these gravestones is is fine and all but i wonder if there was an answer i could have picked that would have just let me play out shannon and conway's experience so i'm I'm so happy that by the end of the game we finally got to experience their side of this story so should we hop into that then? Should we explain the next section? Yeah, because this is when the game kind of got back to, okay, uh, the middle section, I, I don't know. I had a lot of un- unanswered questions that I'm sure will be addressed later, but the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces and kind of where the strangers come from, like that to me is is another solid piece of the game that I really like. So you go back to the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces because you still, I guess, don't have the address to get to Five Dogwood Drive because I guess we're still doing that. <laughs> uh, and really, that that is used as a setup for the flashback that happens because Conway's like, yeah, I, I guess I have a, I, I'm busy tomorrow. I'll tell you about it later. And then it flashes back to them going into the church and really the church just being the entrance to Hard Times Whiskey Distillery. Yes, and there is a a really interesting conversation that Shannon and Conway have on the pew of the church before we find out it's kind of a trapdoor that gets you there, where uh, Shannon says that she just kind of assumed that Weaver had died, right? That when Weaver disappeared, she was just dead. Um, But one of the things that you know, made her think otherwise now or recently freaked her out was she saw um she saw Weaver on the screen of a TV that she had repaired. Um, which brought me right back to the beginning, which was one of the first dialogue options you have where you choose oh well mom said the TV is is a gateway for the ghosts or or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um so it it again kind of made me feel like the the game was referencing itself and and um you know, looping in on itself and uh, thought that was a super interesting, like, little tidbit. And then it's like, oh, by the way, there's a whole distillery underneath you. <laughs> and not only is there a whole distillery underneath you, nobody in this distillery is weirded out at, at all <laughs> that you just stumbled into it. Yeah. There's just a very warm welcome by a skeleton looking hard time boy who's just <laughs> like, oh, great. Yeah, you're finally here. Great, you're 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 just about late. Let's get you through the onboarding process. And throughout this experience, you you can always kind of go back to saying like, but actually, I'm just here for directions. I just kind of got lost. I need to I need to leave. And they essentially onboard you like you're an employee or the newest employee uh, into to hard time liquor or hard time whiskey. Yeah. And uh, so Doolittle is the character that kind of walks yes, you through Doolittle. this. That's his name. And my thought initially was, he thinks I'm part of this, 
because of my leg. Right? Ooh. Oh, I didn't so even think of that, but that makes his sense. His leg is the same kind of texture as Doolittle, who's this walking skeleton man. So my thought was, oh, because, you know, what's talked about a lot here is that people in this situation have debts to pay, right? So if he has a skeleton leg, much like a lot of the other skeleton men and women that are in the actual facility, maybe he just assumes that I'm here because... I owe a debt because of my my really really awful leg. Good connections, good connections. That makes a lot of sense, and I, I wasn't quite sure if I had clued that all in together. But that makes that makes a lot of sense. That was one of the really troubling aspects about this entire scene. As as much as I loved it, there was always, you know, this thought in the back of my mind, like you know, this is absolutely horrible because you know this character Doolittle is just the 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 most happy-go-lucky character you can find. And he's going on and explaining, or uh, talking to you and introducing you to all of these different people who work in this distillery and talking about how none of them are here because of their own free will or choice. I mean, they they didn't just apply on Indeed.com to work in a distillery. They, they're only here because they're paying off their debt. And it, it seems as though they're never going to be able to finally pay off their debt and there was there was the one gentleman i can't remember his name but it was something as if he he was a lumberjack and um the the wood he supplied was filled with termites and so it ended up ruining a whole batch of their wood and uh for their casks and he said you know it's it's not his fault but you know debt's got to be repaid so uh moving on and just (laughs) says it so nonchalantly um the one thing i just want to touch on is um, we talked about kind of visually what the characters look like, but you picked up like a little button on your UI that you could use, um, after the Xanadu section that allowed you to degauze the screen. Now that was used largely for Xanadu, but you could use it at the hard time distillery as well. And mm-hmm. when you hit that degauze button, some of the characters that were, are like these electrical skeleton men, some of them that were working just would show back up when you degauze the screen. Not sure what that's all about, but I thought that was like a really cool visual element. The one thing, Mike, you sent us another um, uh, article um, from Super Level, and the one the I only pulled one thing from it, and that one thing is the inspiration for this location, and that it's based. What they thought is that it's based on either like a Bond villains, um, <laughs> like uh, headquarters. I can or see that Enron or Enron. Which Enron makes a lot of sense here. There's a real banality of evil uh, (laughs) here. And it's just that, like, um, I think it's uh, Hannah Arendt concept where it's that, you know, the most evil structures just have just a real boringness to them. A real just, like, it's just, it just is what it is, you know? It's, It's not exceptional it's not anything to to write home about it just it's there and that's kind of the sense that you get of of this this distillery that you know everyone's like well and you know he just has crippling debt for the rest of his life now and and he's here you know it's just it is what it is yeah <laughs> and, and everyone it just seems and and we see this with conway uh when he gets roped into it just goes with it there's just there's no real fighting it. It's just yeah, it, it's that's just what it is. That's just how it is. We've we're just in this really horribly evil system, and we're there. And I don't know if that's uh, commentary on you know debt itself being evil um, or the suffocating nature of it, but it just is really just nothing to write home about. We're just we're just we're just here. We're just evil, and we're here. Um. I th- I want to ask you a question because there's one part of this that like some of it was crystal clear, but other parts I'm like, hmm. Uh, so Doolittle brings you over to a truck and that's kind of he's like, hey, here's your here's your delivery van because you're delivering casks now. This is your new job to work off your debt. And he starts showing you like the tires and the radio. And uh, it's a it's an adventure game. So you have text options. And one of the options at each of the ends of the conversations where you're talking about the wheels or the radio, it just allows you to kind of almost like remove yourself from the situation. And I I don't know why and what that was referring to. So like one of the options would be like, we're talking about the radio 
and or the wipers. And he's like, hey, wipers are fine. Or the other option is they ditch class for the day to drive in the rain. And I had no idea what that referred to. Well, what did you choose? Well, I, I wanted to see what would happen. So I choose each time for the first three times, like the option that had nothing to do with what was going on. And the yes. screen would fade to black, but then come right back. But I, I had yes. no idea what was happening. So to me, okay, uh, and Adam, I want to get your take on this too. Galaxy to brain me, me. Yes. <laughs> that was uh, a moment of Conway uh, essentially being impacted by the song that he heard earlier in the night, still having, uh, you know, it reawakening feelings, images, etc. Um, especially the daydream or the hallucination or the memory that he woke up and started this whole act with. And he was going back and thinking about his experiences with Lisette and the story of him, Lisette and Ira. And to me, it was one of those things that, you know, he's been a delivery driver. He's, he's done this for a long time. It was also probably the moment that he got into this line of work um, so this is a, a part of his life that he can just zone out. Like he doesn't need a deep attention to the windshield wipers. Uh, it's where his mind's naturally going to wander off and think about, um, you know, the emotionally crippling thing that, that, that was just brought up throughout this whole episode. The, the one thing I remembered as Doolittle is kind of showing you the ropes of this new truck is that if you remember from the, the second scene in this act where your truck has broken down, um, Ezra wants to play a little game with you. And so he, he grabs a tree branch and says, uh, this tree branch is going to predict the future, your future, actually. And uh, he says, um, I'm going to uh, ask you a question, and then every option I'm going to snap off a separate branch. And then by the end of it, that'll be what actually happens. And he says, okay, um, let's figure out um, what your next vehicle is going to be. And he starts snapping off branches and uh, bicycle, tugboat, dinosaur, and then he finally lands on new truck. I guess you're going to end up driving a new truck in the future. And to me, that's what I saw when he was introducing him to this new truck. And I... Uh, <laughs> again, these are... It's just newspaper clippings and bits of string all over the place. It's yes. <laughs> It's Pepe Silvia. Exactly. Uh, my my entire Struck yeah, again. my entire house is is <laughs> my entire house is yarn and uh and blood red notes uh <laughs> scribbled on the wall um with just a lot of circles around the the word Conway. Um, <laughs> Conway is the center of this all, I'm sure. Um one of the other fun little bits here is they talk about how you have to really make sure the truck is in good condition because our last guy, he just crashed it. And, uh, you know, now he's on the line for all of the, the lost product. Um, and it made Come me think on. right back to the very beginning of the game where the, the game opens up with pulling off the highway and hearing about how there was all this whiskey that just got into a just got oh. into an accident or just got into a crash. I don't know if you guys remember that, no. but it's another one of those moments, which is why I love this game so much now where it just folds in and references itself and... I feel like time is a circle uh, and and something that I'm continuing to repeat uh, ad infinitum. Uh, at the end of the sequence, I kind of wish this game had a neck so that I could ring it. Because you <laughs> you get to the point where you do little's like, cool, tour's over, great job. Uh, let's just have a celebratory drink of, of top shelf hard times whiskey stuff, which like... Probably doesn't cost that much, right? And he's like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I'm not here to work. And he's like, well, you just kind of drank from that top shelf whiskey, which isn't cheap. And I just wasted a whole bunch of my time to give you a tour, which again, waste a company time. It sounds like you're going to have to work that off. Uh, you have no other choice, but I, I guess come here tomorrow and just start working it off, which I was like, debt. <laughs> Super, super frustrating. Yeah. The, the, the other frustrating part is that, you know, by the time you get to the end of this, uh, you know, 45-minute episode within the, the distillery, Shannon finally pipes up and says, Look, we are not here for any of this. We have to figure out how to operate Xanadu. And Doolittle just casually says, Oh, yeah, the computer? Oh, did you guys plug in the password? It's Air. And at that <laughs> point, I'm thinking to myself, Okay, hang on a minute. This... This busted up 
dot matrix, you know, oscilloscope <laughs> piece of garbage isn't working properly just because the old man who's smoking black mold forgot the password. <laughs> That's <And> it. <laughs> see, I was so mad that I, I didn't even catch that because I was like, the man is putting me down. I, I'm with you, Jacob. The other thing that I was very frustrated in this scene about was uh, I don't remember exactly where I get this sense, um, but I, I remember substance abuse being kind of a, an issue and a thread throughout this game. I know um, uh, Shannon talks about abusing Weaver's ADD medication, which is essentially meth, um, you know, and, and clearly alcoholism was an issue in the entertainment. Um, and I... I don't remember where I got the sense, but I got the sense that Conway had alcohol issues. Um, and at, in this scene, you don't have a choice to drink or not. I waited as long as I could. Uh, and then eventually Conway just drinks and chooses the option for you. Um, because I guess they don't have a, a path where you don't drink. Um, because I sat there, I'm like, screw this. I'm not, I'm not taking that drink. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not being a part of any of this. And you're kind of just railroaded into it. Do you guys remember any any moments about substance abuse? No, I don't. Not that not not that I can remember, but I I felt as though there was a part before Conway accepts the drink that he made it seem like he was a recovering alcoholic and he didn't want to drink it. But I I, I might just be making this up and pulling it out of thin air. But I'm not entirely sure about that. Who knows? This could be a loose thread on on my Pepe <laughs> Sylvia board, um, but but I do feel like there is a, a sense of Conway being, um, you know, a recovering alcoholic or having some substance abuse issues. So I will go back to the uh, the string and uh, the board and see if I can figure out where I got that that hint from. Uh, and the the episode just ends there. It's just like, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm working here in the morning. And then it just fades to black. Done. It's huh? it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. So much happens. So much happens in this episode or this this act. Um, I I remember feeling in the first one like, man, this is pretty slow. This does not go a whole lot of places. Um, but this this act just goes everywhere. You're you're going through the zero. You're going into a cave with a crazy supercomputer. You're going into a giant distillery with skeleton people who seem like they're electrified. Um, you're tying all kinds of loose ends together and getting a real grip on the story. This was for me the highlight of the game so far, and I have been itching to play the next bits. You guys, in a previous episode, when you were talking about The Walking Dead, or uh, not The Walking Dead, but The Walking Dead game, uh, The Last of Us talked about how that was the video game that sort of inspired the idea that video games are are works of art. And uh, to me, this this act of this game was that moment for me. And the entire time I thought to myself, you know, if it is possible, this this game has to be readapted as a TV series, like a Netflix original yes. TV series. Uh with you know themes of twin peaks stranger things like netflix if you are listening please get on board so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i mean i uh, without digging too deep into our discussion of the last of us i feel like this game does what the last of us couldn't which is it, it makes the gameplay of the game like crucial to the story like the gameplay ties so so tightly into what the game is about and what the story is that it's seamless and i'm not sure you could do a better version of this as a movie or tv show but adam i'm with you i'd love to see someone try <laughs> uh wishing for a netflix series uh, will be the way that we end this episode, uh, which is our fifth episode of our Kentucky Route Zero series. We've got five more to go, gents. Uh, so so strap in and, and ready yourself for more content. Uh, if you want to find out more about our podcast, uh, you can find out all the details at leftbehindgame.club, on Twitter at leftbehindclub, and on Instagram at leftbehindgameclub. Uh, if you want to join our Discord server and placate michael and let him know that you are playing this game and you want to talk about it uh you can find the link to that discord at leftbehindgame.club michael you you just Come want friends to me. talk 
talking yes, about this game. Yes, I want my look. I love talking with with you, Jacob, and you, Adam, about this game. But I need more opinions. I need more takes. Um, th- this game has gripped my imagination, and I need to know more. So, if you have some opinions and you are also playing this game, or if you're just starting, or, or you're even just curious about starting. Um, you can find me at most social places online at Rufalo M. Feel free to shoot me a message there. I would love to discuss it with you. Um, but more importantly, come into the Discord server, leftbehindgame.club, big button there that'll allow you to hop right in. There's a show discussion channel. I would love to to see what big brain moments I might be missing. Uh, Michael, you told the folks where folks can find you. Uh, Adam, again, your your fifth time on the show. Uh, woot, 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 woot. Thank you so much for coming on. If people want to find your work, uh, where can they do that? Uh, the best place for people to find me is just at my website, adamayaneta.ca. It's my online professional portfolio for my work as a singer. Um, but just as well, I'm equally passionate about video games and also Drake and Josh. Um, so that is the best <laughs> place for people to find me. And uh, likewise, it's it's been an amazing experience to, to work with such wonderful people on such an incredible piece of of art. And that's that's all I can say at this point. So thank you, guys. <laughs> Uh, and you can find me on the internet at Jacob McCord on all major social media platforms and at jacobmccord.com. I make YouTube videos from time to time as well. Uh, so if you want to check that out, you can do that at uh, youtube.com slash Jacob McCord. I almost forgot it, but there it was. Uh, and Michael, what do we say to him? That, my friends, is one less game left behind.